This is the SF Productions Podcast Network. How I Got My Wife to Read Comics Episode 611 Can a comic book collector of over 30 years get his wife to read them? Will she let him keep them? Learn more in this podcast. Let's go to the comic book lounge with Mindy and Mark. Corky explains it all. Superman makes the ultimate sacrifice. Is Chance dead or not? It's looking bad for Junkyard Joe. The final battle of the ones. And the space lizards have arrived. This is How I Got My Wife to Read Comics for Sunday, March 5th, 2023. I'm Mark. And I'm Mindy. Just a reminder, you can go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get the feed, other SF podcasts and blogs, or subscribe via your favorite podcast catcher and leave us a review. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com, like it's at facebook.com slash sfppn, follow us on Twitter at sfppn, check out Instagram at sfpodnetwork. Or call us at 614-321-9737. That's 614-321-9SFP. Stargirl, The Lost Children, number four of six by Johns, Nock, and Herms. A quick aside, the new JSA title designed to go alongside this series is having delays, of course. There really should be a simple rule here. All miniseries should be completely in the can before they can even be announced. Mm. Anyway, we begin with Barry Allen in the time stream, with Corky Baxter providing narration. He and the Time Masters see Barry whip by from their time bubble, then run into a lot of turbulence. This is because Barry is in the midst of creating Flashpoint. Of course, Barry resets things, but not before the timeline was attacked by Dr. Manhattan in Doomsday Clock, resulting in years stolen from the timeline. When the time bubble attempted to retreat to the Omniverse, they were thrown into the Divine Continuum, a.k.a. DC, instead. Ah. Got all that? We cut back to the Lost Children and see that Corky is explaining how he's going to take them all home while taking his time doing so. When Wing asks why the Childminder brought them there in the first place, his initial response is, it's all Batman's fault. When he recreated Flashpoint using the stolen snow globe, it caused changes to history, including removing the lost children from the timeline. The Time Masters collected them to protect them until the damage to the timeline could be fixed and they could be dropped back into it. Unfortunately, there was an attack on the Time Lab, which allowed Childminder to swipe the kids. Childminder is intending to sell the kids to a mysterious buyer. Corky's plan, free the other kids in the castle, destroy the machine keeping the kids on the island before the buyer gets there, redeposit the kids back to their proper time when they first disappeared. Stargirl's prior research makes her realize that this will be bad for Wing, as he disappeared in the battle between the Seven Soldiers of Victory and the Nebula Man, as depicted in JLA 100-102. to In the battle, Wing sacrificed himself for the world, so will he return only to die? When she tries to bring this up with Corky, his reply is that he can't change the timeline, and when she tries to talk to Wing, he tells her they will discuss it after the battle. 
back to the castle where Childminder tells her backstory to Secret in one of the cages. She is the inspiration for Mother Goose, with the original writer separating her into a woman and a bird to avoid scaring the kitties. She's helping the kids because no one ever helped her. But it's time for their new mentor to arrive. Judy Garrick is forced to run and sees her lost timeline again with Jay. Red Arrow tells her to pour on the speed to break the machine, but a time portal is opened anyway. Airwave starts going crazy as he starts getting signals from across time. Corky tells them they have to move out and reminds them all he's in charge. The kids have actually tried to storm the castle before, but never as a team. Childminder's drones attack and keep the kids busy long enough for the buyer mentor to arrive. It's the DC One Million Hour Man from the 853rd century? Superman Space Age Book 3 from DC Black Label by Russell Allred and Allred. The Superman of Earth 832654Z sits among the rubble of his dead world, pontificating about how precarious existence is. Then he notices something in the sky. Back on Earth 1, I guess, 1982. Pariah meets with Clark again at a local watering hole. Clark has milk. Pariah continues to tell him that Brainiac is still out there making plans and that this universe is doomed. You're like a monkey watching a magic trick. You're not even smart enough to know it's a trick. He thinks Clark is naive to think he and his friends can stop the menace. When the anti-monitor shows up on your doorstep, don't say I didn't warn you. Meanwhile, the expanded League finally has an HQ, paid for by Bruce, of course. It's mostly the Bronze Age GLA. Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Flash, Hawkman, Hawkgirl, Martian Manhunter, Green Arrow, Black Canary, Aquaman, Red Tornado, The Atom, along with GL John Stewart, Swamp Thing, and Plastic Man. GL explains the idea of the multiverse and the danger they're in, while aboard Barry builds a ship in a bottle because the world moves too slowly for him. Later, on Alpha Century B, there's a meeting between Brainiac and Superman. Good news, they aren't going to harvest the Earth. Bad news, the Anti-Monitor is soon to arrive, and Brainy's making plans to evacuate to Universe 177389-F to be renamed the Matterverse. Brainy will be making his counterattack there, and Soups can join him if he wishes. Unfortunately, only one being can come along. Oh, and there's an Earth there, but it's bereft of life. Meanwhile, at the Metropolis Correctional Facility for Men, Luther is stewing. He can get anything he wants inside, thanks to blackmailing the warden, but he wants out. So he's hired a new lawyer with an idea. Cut to Smallville, where Clark and Jonathan have a talk while shucking corn. When asked what he would be doing differently if he knew the end was near, he replies that he would be there shucking corn. Back to the fortress, where Clark's family, including a hologram of Jor-El, are having a snowball fight. That night, Clark learns that Jonathan has passed. After the funeral, Clark decides he needs to change his plans and steps away from his hero work to do some science. He resigns from the League, now much larger, including Metamorpho, Wildcat, Phantom Stranger, Blue and Gold, The Spectre, Dead Man, Zatanna, Mr. Miracle, Big Barda, Our Man, Robot Man, Negative Man, Dr. Fate. Bruce wishes him well, and Barry gives him a ship and a bottle. He's actually made ten of them today. Diana says that Clark doesn't fight fire with fire. He fights darkness with light. 1984, Gotham. 
Bruce, using his skills and cutting-edge tech, has basically cleaned up the town of its low-hanging fruit. He even uses facial recognition to track down all the bad guys until a clown arrives. Back in Metropolis, Lois is signed to cover Luthor's new trial. His new lawyer notes that since the U.S. government loaned the nuclear bombs to LexCorp and one blew up in transit, isn't that government incompetence? The government attorney, clearly blackmailed by Lex, has no objections, and Lex is set free. Back at LexCorp, his henchman Otis presents him with kryptonite so he can take revenge. Lex's reply, when should I do that? During recess? On the playground before fifth period? Lex is only interested in power and money. Superman has no real assets, so attacking him is pointless. Wayne Enterprises, on the other hand, Bruce rejects a buyout. Meanwhile, the world wonders what happened to Superman. Well, his experiment is complete, and he holds a press conference. He's developed a super pill that can cure all diseases. All he needs is a sample of your DNA. You don't heal the world with violence. You heal it, well, by healing it. Life is a battle that we all lose, which is why you can't live it like a war. Clinics are set up worldwide. Lex attacks the plan publicly, telling a crowd that the important thing is not money, but winning. And what does that make Big Pharma? Lois visits Ma Kent, who's getting by, while Clark and John shuck corn and talk about mortality. Now, just as an aside, I am guessing that more people actually die in, like, developing countries from hunger and lack of water and that kind of thing than die from diseases. So you're going to cure the diseases, but not the causes of the diseases. And you're going to probably increase the population of the earth. Of course, the thing is, Superman knows they're all going to die anyway. So there are no long-term consequences of this. So, well, does he know know that or does he he just suspect (laughs) that it's going to happen? Yeah. You know, so... Anyway, back to Gotham, where the Joker has kidnapped members of Wayne's executive's kids out of their daycare. Joker is annoyed at a $10,000 reward for info leading to their return. Bruce's facial recognition is useless against Joker's face paint. He gets a call from Joker, and we learn that he lost his daughter in a Wayne-owned tenement fire. Now he's dedicated his life to taking revenge against Wayne. Batman tracks him down to a payphone with Lucius inside, which blows up. The Dark Knight goes on a rampage, grilling every clown in the city. Finally, Joker asks for a get-together with Bruce in a tenement building, if he brings a million in cash. There are snipers all around with orders to shoot any clown. Joker wears a Bruce Wayne mask. Joker burns the money and tells him that every time Wayne Enterprises makes a decision that results in the death of a child, one of the kid hostages will die. Bruce pulls out a clown mask, puts it on, and scuffles with Joker. Snipers take them both out. Metropolis, 1985. Clark and Pariah meet for the last time. Come to gloat, I suppose. Is that what you think I've been doing on this uneven bar stool for the past 20 years? I came to tell you that this is the day, the day it all ends. Wayne Enterprises is bought out by LexCorp and Lex celebrates. We also learn that he bankrolled Joker. I've won! What's wrong with the sky? The League goes out to protect the world and its people as best as they can, while Superman at the Fortress takes all the DNA he's collected, putting it in a single crystal. Jor-El's hologram sacrifices himself to provide the power needed. There's five pages of the League losing the battle worldwide. Superman flies into space, reaching Brainiac's portal, and throws the crystal and journal through it. 
Brainy debates about destroying it, but realizes it will increase the chaos factor in the upcoming battle. The package reaches the Superman of Earth 832654Z, who uses its instructions to recreate the world's inhabitants, beginning with Lois. Back on Earth-1, we finish where we began, with Clark and his family facing their deaths, while the other Earth gratefully rebuilds. A child asks why there's a statue of Superman when Superman is still here. It isn't me. Wow, a really powerful story. When Crisis on Infinite Earths happens in this continuity, there's no multitude of heroes from different worlds since they have no way to move between them. So the good guys lose. So I had several questions here. So Superman was using the pretext of creating this pill to collect people's DNA, right? Yeah. Did he get DNA from the other heroes? Are those going to be recreated? Or since they were pretty much immune to diseases, would they not be? Well, if they offered to to take the pill, then yes. But I'm guessing they probably didn't. And of course, you wouldn't recreate Lex, right? No. Lex wouldn't take the pill, <laughs> even if you wanted him to. Yeah. So, you know, I have a problem with it. And then you have this barren world and, you know, you start recreating people, but there's like a billion people on there. You can't recreate them all at once because there won't be enough food for them. Right. So it pre- I, I think the logistics of this. Presu- presumably you do it in batches. You get enough people that they can they can start, you know, supporting themselves and then more and more over time. But that then kind of assumes a long period of time. A long period of time plus, you know, like, okay, so do you do this family together? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, do right. you do the kids later? Or, yeah. you know, <laughs> it, it just logistically There's did lots not of make questions. Sense. Well, on to... The Human Target, Book 12, from DC Black Label by King and Smallwood. Tom King is well known for taking you on a great ride, but as far as landing the plane is concerned, well, any landing you can walk away from. On day 12, Ice comes into Chance's room and finds him dead. We hear their last conversation. Ice offers to use her powers to make it quick, but Chance makes her promise not to do so. She finds a slip of paper next to the bed. I love you too. Later, Ice meets with Luigi, Chance's friend and partner. They have a heart-to-heart, despite not having any relationship. She speaks Italian to him, but he doesn't speak the language. Day 16. Ice and Fire are commiserating while trying to decide what to do with Chance's ashes, which are inside a whiskey bottle. Guy has been mollified by a story that Chance was stalking her and that Guy's actions made him leave. So, we're in the clear. He's dead. We're free. And Ice breaks down. Day 22, Ice checks in with Booster, his bagel place failed, and then John arrives. Booster, someone's in trouble, and it might not be me. John has determined that there are still unanswered questions, that JLI members might be involved in Chance's murder, and that he will lead an inquiry. Ice says, I don't think so. She references his unreported affair with fire, and that he invaded Chance's mind without his permission. Both of those make him unfit to lead, and perhaps unfit for any duty. Ice will lead the investigation, and John is to tell the League this. If they ask, just tell them you did it because I'm so sweet. Day 37. Ice is out on the ocean, on an ice shelf, about to drop Chance's ashes in the sea when Guy arrives. She apologizes to him for her actions, and then comes on to him. I I could use something just like anything, something not so complicated. 
And then she whacks him on the head with the bottle. Is he dead? Hmm. You're right, Christopher. Falling for the disguise isn't about falling for the mask. It's about falling for the lie. Yes, this'll do. Day 73. Ice wakes up and sniffs a mysterious bottle. Back to day 11. Chance, having learned the full truth, asks for a favor. He's terrified of his imminent death, and he realized that all his father wanted when he was killed was another day. The favor? You know that stuff, this stuff, the poison in me? I'm familiar. You got any more of it? Back to day 73, Ice meets with Luthor, apologizing for taking so long to bring him up to speed. He thought Batman wouldn't handle the investigation. I don't know, they just take what they give me. They toast Christopher Chance, and Ice smiles. Mm. Air Joe number 5 from Image by Johns, Frank, and Anderson. The kids are being held by the forces looking for Joe. Meanwhile, Muddy and Joe are telling the guy at the VA their story. The markings on Joe's dog tag are unfamiliar. Joe starts cleaning up the room, and the guy from the VA says he'll see what he can do. They return to Muddy's home to find the kids being held hostage. We only came for the robot, Mr. David, but I'm afraid now you're all going to have to come along with us, too. Joe springs into action, taking out the guards and destroying their guns. Muddy tells Joe to get the kids out of there while he calls the cops. Muddy is then clocked in the head. The Dan returns after work to find Muddy lying in a pool of blood. The bad guys track Joe and the kids while some unfortunate hunters get in the middle of it. Joe sees their guns and attacks the hunters, then grieves for a deer they shot. In the ambulance, Muddy wakes up and tells the dad that his kids are in danger. We cut to the Pentagon going over a briefing about Unit Beta. Someone broke in after the project was mothballed. Why? They shut the robot down because it killed everyone it met. The Ones, number four, from Dark Horse by Bendis, Edgar, Diaz, and Reed. We see a typical day in the life of Ava, playing with her dog, eating various meals, handling an issue with a work report. This is all being seen from Satan's book. Wait, wait, stop. Stop. Are you telling me this is you? He's considering his options on who to represent their team in a final battle for the world. They're all arguing whom it should be. When Dorothy the Demon Slayer steps up, Satan replies that she would be helpful in the new order to take down trash demons. Satan keeps guessing how Ava is a chosen one. Vampire? Immortal? Manifestation of a genre-fueled writer's self-consciousness brought to life through the seventh dimension of the creative hive mind? Alien? No, 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 and no. Others keep offering themselves for the conflict, but Satan needs to figure out Ava first. Maybe her parents are demigods? Finally, he decides to have Chester represent them, and the others hand him their weapons. And then Satan makes Ava his champion, making it lose-lose for them. Satan stretches out and gets comfortable, expanding from a kid to a giant version of what you would expect from him. As the fight is about to begin, Novus flies through Satan's head and defeats him. Deus ex machina. The other demons are told to disperse. They explain that Satan is not dead, just trapped in the netherworld until cosmic forces line up again, and will be complaining to them until then. Later, the ones get together for pizza, and the gnome tells Novus to be careful. Satan likes to break down marriages, as in erase them from reality. A new scroll pops up, which says, If the chosen one's prophecy is fulfilled, then they shall remain together for the greater good. The next prophecies will reveal more. It is all connected. So, we're a franchise? In a coda, Ava is on the phone with her parents. 
there's some sort of promise that they made to leave it all alone, and she swears she didn't tell anyone, especially Satan, who her parents really are. Ooh, I'm curious now. So Mm -hmm. is there going to be another series of this? I'm I'm sure they hope so. Yeah. My Bad, Volume 2, Number 4, from Ahoy Comics by Russell Ingram Krause Orzak. Emperor King returns from a six-day prison term to find Foolface and Amazing Adam in his kitchen. Foolface is the reason he was in jail. Plus, Lunchbot is putting mustard on his ham sandwich. He hates mustard. Adams is crashing on his couch, and Foolface is there for his bar. A space lizard attacks and kills Lunchbot before Adams disarms and holds the beast, allowing Emperor King to take ineffectual swats at the lizard. This will impress good Karen. We learn the lizard hired the pizza delivery killer and that a space lizard invasion is imminent. Meanwhile, Rush Hour has been hired to be the new face of Drixen Fried Chicken Chain. He learns after he signs that there's a new uniform involved. When he goes to the restroom to change, he wanders into the intergalactic transmissions room instead, learning of the lizard invasion. Oh, God, that's horrifying. Yeah, it's going to cause some huge traffic jams. Meanwhile, Jammington visits the Green Rage, who's healing from a bullet wound. His powers cured the wound but left the bullet inside. You have no idea how many surgeries I've had over the years. We get Green Rage's origin story of a sort. Working at a convenience store, a wizard decides he is great and kind and gives him a superpower. Okay then, thanks for shopping at Top Snacks. Jammington tells Rage that he arranged Accelerator's death, which was only supposed to rough him up. Are you completely allergic to personal growth? I'm rich enough that I don't have to. He gets an alert about the lizards, and Rage replies, I don't think you should come by here anymore. The heroes meet at the Lamp Cave, and Steel Integrity admits he's actually Emperor King. (gasps) The Pinworms! Chandelier admits to killing Accelerator, and both he and Emperor King make up. Amazon wants to circle back on the murder, but the priority is the lizards. Various other heroes and villains are called in to join the fight, while we see the lizard flagship. Want to see me boil these people alive? Announcer Bot, how can the folks find us online? Go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get the feed, other SF podcasts, and blogs. Subscribe by your favorite podcast catcher and leave us a review. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com. Like us at facebook.com slash sfppn. Follow us on Twitter at SFPPN. Check out Instagram at SFPodNetwork. Call us at 614-321-9737. That's 614-321-9SFP. Back to you, Mark. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.